everybody welcome to the inaugural episode of that history podcast my name is christian and i would like to welcome my associates they're uh they're not my friends not anymore but um yeah we have uh kaylee wait savannah what? my co-host but whatever i'm just gonna introduce people hey guys good to be here wait you're not and sage who has just been the biggest help okay Okay, I guess she's just not here. Hello! Hi, everyone! And there she is. Wait, where's Evelyn? Hey, I'm right here. Hey, Christian, why are you introducing people? That's my job. I'm the host. Uh, Sorry, not anymore. All right, back on track. You're listening to That History Podcast, and this is the one where they talk about Afghanistan. They, meaning us, we talk about Afghanistan. I'm Savannah, here with my co-host, Evelyn. Hear that? Not Christian. We are here today to talk about the past, present, and future of Afghanistan. Fine. Evelyn's the host. I just wanted to introduce people. That's right. I am the host. Today, we're going to give the listeners a crash course on Afghanistan, the past, present, and its future. I would like to introduce our experts, Christian Sage and Kaylee. First, we would like to start with Christian, expert of the past. So, Christian, where will we start? Well, we can start with the British invasion that kicked off modern Afghanistan. Before World War I, Britain was in control of Afghanistan and led the country through a 40 year period of stability and peace. However, there were two Anglo Afghan wars in the 1800s. Wait, wasn't it a time of peace? Well, the wars were before the time of peace. Oh, okay. I get it now. But you should clarify first. Whatever. Wait, so how did World War I affect the relationship between Britain and Afghanistan? Historically speaking, after the war, the 40-year period of peace between the British and Afghans ended. The Afghans invaded British India in 1919 after facing internal power struggles back in Afghanistan. This invasion started the Third Anglo-Afghan War, which ended in Afghan victory and independence, and King Amanullah Khan began ruling. How long did that last? Um, not long. Muhammad Daud Khan, his cousin, took power and overthrew him. Muhammad announced himself the first president of Afghanistan. He also made some major reforms in the law. He passed a law stating women could enter the workforce and attend university to further their education. Khan was assassinated for his reforms in 1978 in a coup planned by the communists. The Soviets, who were also communists, then invaded to protect their interests, thus beginning the Soviet-Afghan War in 1979. Now, before we talk about the Soviet invasion, I would like to talk to you about the Mujahideen. I would love to. So, if you ask most people about the Mujahideen, they will most likely tell you that it was a group that fought for Afghanistan, especially against the Soviets during the 1970s and 80s. But how did the Mujahideen come to be? Well, the Mujahideen that everyone knows was actually not the first one. The original Mujahideen opposed the British Raj entering Afghanistan in the 19th century. So it is similar to the more current Mujahideen, which did the same with the Soviets. Wow, that is really fascinating. Just to clarify for our listeners, who exactly are the Mujahideen? Just in case someone doesn't know. Wow. What's your problem? Nothing. 
The Mujahideen was composed of many militias led by warlords. These groups, however, were very separated due to many factors, including geographical borders and differences in language. Wait, why do you believe there were differences in languages if all the members of the Mujahideen were Afghans? Well, among Afghans, there are many different ethnic groups, such as the Pashtuns and Tajiks. But, like I was saying, these militias often fought the Soviets separately within their regions using guerrilla tactics as it was very difficult to coordinate with one another. Wait, they fought the Soviets using guerrillas? No, Sage. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Let's get back on track. How did the Mujahideen unite against the Soviets? Well, they had a very common goal to push out the Soviets, which became even more desirable as the Soviets began harming Muslims. The Mujahideen were Muslims, as if I did not mention that. So they wanted to defend themselves more effectively, which would happen if they united. In 1985, seven different militias were able to unite, and this group was known under many names, including the Islamic Unity of Afghanistan Mujahideen, the Seven-Party Mujahideen Alliance, and the Peshawar Seven. Well, why was this group so important to Afghanistan's history? Well, they were largely supported and helped Afghanistan win the Soviet-Afghan War. Eh, I think that the Afghans could have won without them. Literally, what are you talking about, Sage? They were so important. Agree to, to disagree. So, Christian, what else can you tell me about the Soviet-Afghan War? Well, the Soviet-Afghan War was started by the invasion in December of 1979. The Soviets intervened in support of the communists in conflict with the anti-communist Muslims. They remained in Afghanistan until 1989. Who was in power before the Soviets invaded? Two groups were in power before they invaded, People's Kalk Party and the Banner Parcham Party. What did they change when they took power, and how do you think the people reacted? Well, one of the major things these groups did when they took power was forge close ties with the Soviet Union. They also launched ruthless purges of all domestic opposition and made various land and social reforms. For these reasons, I believe many of the people weren't happy with the government, specifically the Muslims. Yeah, but there were people in Afghanistan who weren't Muslim and might have liked the reforms. So I think a majority of the people liked the reforms. But don't forget, many non-Muslims have been against communism and may have disliked those reforms that were made. I guess. You're the expert, anyway. Thank you for not arguing. That's a welcome surprise. What? Hello? Hey, Christian. Do you think the Soviets decided to invade because of the political instability? Well, it was pretty cold of the Soviet Union to invade. Get it? Because it was cold in the Soviet Union? That wasn't even a Cold War joke. That was awful. Shut up. But somebody has to answer Savannah's question. Christian? Sure. Um, abysmal joke, by the way. The government was facing multiple uprisings by the Mujahideen and many other groups, and the peoples and banner factions fought over power. They invaded on December 24th, 1979, sending in some 30,000 troops and toppling the short-lived presidency of the people's leader, Hazifullah Amin. I disagree. I believe they decided to invade to spread communism. That may have some truth, but I believe the uprisings against the government gave them the chance to take over. How was the Mujahideen able to do this successfully? They were supported by many countries, including the United States, Pakistan, and Saudi Arabia. And all those countries gave them weapons and many other things that greatly improved the war front. This helped them in their resistance against the Soviets. 
So why did the war come to an end? In 1988, the United States, the Soviet Union, Pakistan, and Afghanistan all signed an accord saying the Soviets would withdraw their troops. Finally, on February 15, 1989, the Soviets withdrew their last troops and the Soviet invasion ended. I think that the Afghan war ended because the Soviet Union was collapsing. I agree with Kaylee. The Soviet Union at that time was coming to an end and dying. The collapse was only two years away. Merry Christmas, Gorbachev. Not a single person thinks you're funny, Christian. Fine. Don't enjoy my joke. But although that may be the reason the Soviets withdrew, many of the countries participating did not want to fight anymore, so they did agree to withdraw. Wow, that is an impressive ending. What happened to the Mujahideen and Afghans after the war ended? Tell us what you think are the most important things that are happening right now. Some current issues concerning the people of Afghanistan are Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. The Taliban began in the 1990s in Afghanistan and had gained almost full control by 2001. Those aren't all of the important issues, right? What about women's rights? We'll talk about that later. How did the public react to the Taliban forming and all the horrible things they were doing, such as attacking universities and young people? The, the rest of the world obviously did not approve of the Taliban, especially because they suppressed all opportunities and freedoms of women in society. Wait, wasn't that the group that threatened Malala? Yes, the Taliban is responsible for almost killing Malala, the brave teenager who stood up against the Taliban and fought for women's education. So you said all this happened back in the early 2000s. How are they still active now? Unfortunately, the Taliban still causes violence across Afghanistan, attacking aid workers, committing abductions, and causing injuries and deaths. The group also attacked people responsible for distributing vaccinations for polio, a paralyzing disease that has since been wiped out in the United States. Because of this, polio still exists in some areas of Afghanistan. Wow, that sounds horrible. Do you think they are the only ones causing trouble in Afghanistan? Believe it or not, Al-Qaeda has caused a similar amount of damage. The terrorist group? Correct. Jeez. I thought the Taliban was the only group causing trouble. I've never heard of Al-Qaeda. Oh, okay. So what has Al-Qaeda been responsible for? The group was found to have been behind the 9-11 attacks and the April 2007 Baghdad bombings. One of their sole beliefs is that a Christian Jewish... Hey, that's my name. Shut up. Sorry, I, uh, I couldn't resist that joke. But yeah, one of their sole beliefs is that a Jewish-Christian alliance is bent on the destruction of Islam. Speaking of the foundation... When were they started? They began in 1988 as a logistics network against the Soviets during their invasion. Every group like that has to have a leader. Who is it? Osama bin Laden, their leader, who was killed in his hideout by U.S. Special Forces in May 2011. While he was still alive, he opposed the Soviets during their invasion in the 70s to 80s. What have they done recently? Anything of importance? Al-Qaeda is still active. However, it is now separated into smaller groups with limited relation to each other, and the group has met in various countries. They have training grounds in Sudan, Pakistan, Iraq, and Afghanistan. I don't think these smaller groups are truly a threat. But they are, because they harm people through their acts of terrorism. While the past and present have clearly occurred and are occurring, the future is unclear. So Kaylee, what can you tell us about the future of Afghanistan? Well, you were pretty accurate when you said that the future of Afghanistan is unclear. And why is that? 
The future at the moment is fairly unclear because there are two main predictions for the future of the country. What are the two predictions? I was getting to that. Okay, sorry, I guess. It's okay, I guess. So, how about those two ways? Oh, yeah. So, either there will be a future in which the Taliban completely rules Afghanistan, or one with a more stable government and social reforms towards equality. Those sound really different, like, really different. And a really clear choice if you know the good one. Yeah, why exactly are these so different? Well, the fundamental reason seems to be that while most countries have withdrawn from Afghanistan, the U.S. still hasn't. Well, yeah, the U.S. is the U.S. Exactly. The U.S. wants them to agree to some of their conditions before they'll withdraw. Under the Obama administration, the three conditions are breaking ties with al-Qaeda, renouncing violence, and accepting the current constitution of Afghanistan. Well, Obama isn't our president anymore. How's my boy Donnie handling it? Well, the Trump administration's tactic was to increase military pressure and diplomatic pressure towards Afghanistan, and their readiness to m- remove troops brought the Taliban to the negotiation table. It also helped that the U.S. had become more militant and the Afghans wanted them gone. So, what has become of this? Currently, a ceasefire and direct talks between the Taliban and the Afghan government is expected, but the control and influence of the government is decreasing. Decreasing? Shouldn't it be increasing? Well, as of right now, the government controls 56% of the territory and has 65% of the population, which is about 21.5 million people. But the Taliban is present in more than half of the territory and easily could carry out attacks in nearly 70% of the country. And this threat is also only increasing. So what does this mean for the people? The majority of the concern is what will happen once the U.S. withdraws, especially towards women. Some argue that women have already made many agreements, such as education, legislator, and society as a whole, though. Wait, isn't the reason this still exists because of the Americans? Some argue that. But the concerns are held by Afghan women who suffered under direct Taliban rule. They were forced out of parliament and other positions of power. Women were also beaten, and they fear that the Taliban will come back crueler. What does the Taliban think about this? They've said that it shouldn't be a concern, because it's no worse than how women are treated in Saudi Arabia and other countries. However, the U.S. believes that it holds a moral obligation towards this. Moral? They feel they're right. Oh, alright. Anyways, it should... It would be difficult for the Taliban to take over due to many people in opposition to them. So what is being done in order to protect the future? The Geneva Conference on Afghanistan was held in order to figure out what is in store for the country in terms of peace and and prosperity among times of conflict and political uncertainty. A joint unique in order to build on earlier framework and provide six areas of aid was established. What were these areas? Well, there were security and political stability, anti-corruption, governing laws and human rights, fiscal and public finance and banking sustainability, reform planning, management and citizens' rights of development, private sector development, and the development of partnerships and aid. How on earth did they pay for all that? $15.2 billion were given to the country for development which must be linked to peace, between the years of 2017 and 2020, with a gradual decline planned instead of a sudden drop-off. This updated plan includes inclusiveness and reintegration. 
Sounds like a pretty good idea. Exactly. So what's wrong with all this? Well, it presents many risks. The upcoming election may cause a further divide among the people, and security is also problematic. There are also underground regional geopolitical view- views that may clash due to different beliefs. All of this poses quite a conundrum. However, it is more realistic that peace with reforms will prove to be a good idea. Wow, that's so interesting. Thank you for joining us on That History Podcast. Hope you enjoyed learning about Afghanistan. Bye! Help me, please. (laughs)